on this episode of Up the Mountain. They say until you go through it personally, you know, you just you don't know the feeling. You know, you can kind of think, you know, and you have an idea, but you really don't. It was it was a gut punch. You know, I, I could have gotten down. I could have gotten depressed. Um, you know, I could be sad. I could be mad. I could be all kinds of things. I choose to be happy. You know, I choose to be positive, and I choose to show people that. And that's what we're going to – I mean, we're look, this thing done picked on the wrong person. Welcome to Up the Mountain Podcast, Episode 1. I'm your host, Ryan Ray. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was created to start a discussion about how people achieve success and, to be cliche, climb their mountains. Now, by mountains, we simply mean the thing in your life that you're currently trying to overcome. This could be business, personal relationships, drug addiction, whatever. We are here to learn how people have conquered their mountain. Now, you may be wondering, what do we mean by success? Well, I'm not here to give you a definition. Rather, I'm here to learn, like you will, what is the definition of success? As you will see in the coming episodes, success comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. What has been very interesting is, as we have talked to potential guests about coming on the show, most of them have said they do not feel personally successful. Now, I think part of this is because our culture has really narrowed success into a very small and almost unattainable object that we really can't define unless you're considered the absolute best at what you do. Over the coming episodes, we will hear from a wide range of people who have been and are successful in a variety of ways. We hope that these stories help you climb the mountain that you are currently facing. Our first guest today is Scott Caldwell. Originally, when I asked Scott to come on the show, it was because he runs a successful fitness business and does motivational speaking. But since I reached out to him, something drastic has changed in his life. He has now been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Just a little background on Scott. He's been self-employed for over 15 years and currently owns Max Results Fitness. And, as already mentioned, does motivational speaking. He also has a son, Weston. Here is my interview with Scott Caldwell. I hope you enjoy it. So, Scott, thank you for being on the show today. It's good to see you again, man. Hey, it's been a while. It's been a long time since we've actually uh, sat down and not text or Facebooked or, or something like that. It has been. It's, uh, you know, the Moore's days. Exactly. Well, that's where I wanted to start at because I was thinking about that uh, as I knew you were coming on the show. And it's been about 12 years ago since we first met, something like that, 12, 13 years. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, it was 2003, 2004, yeah, somewhere. That, right at the same time I started my boot camp. Right, right. And that's kind of what I had it as, too. 2003, 2004, I couldn't remember exactly the date. Um, you know, one of the things that when I first met you that uh, kind of drew me to you was obviously your charismatic personality. You're really <laughs> upbeat and you're energetic. But the other thing was... It's just a nice way of saying I'm loud. <laughs> I'm loud, too, unfortunately. But the other thing was you had lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we go back to that even before we met and talk about... Sure. Where you were and how you got into personal training and the weight loss process that you went through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we go back just to the weight loss part, you know, I uh, just got to the point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
you know, I grew up an athlete, went to college on a baseball scholarship, uh, blew my ankle out, lost my scholarship. You know, then it was just kind of a little roller coaster ride after that. And um, it was funny. Um, I started watching successful people and because um, I wanted to know what they knew. You know, what were they doing? What, what was missing from my life? Because I felt capable, you know, but I, for whatever reason, I was not. And I felt one of the first things I needed to do was get my, my body back in shape. And uh, I just made my mind up one day. And uh, in 15 months, we took off 160 pounds. And we did it the old-fashioned way, no drugs, no surgery. You know, Jared's a liar. <laughs> so 160 pounds in 15 months yep. by diet and exercise? Yep. And then after that, did you immediately go into personal training, or was there a process? No, or? I was actually in real estate at the time with uh, John Ray Realty here locally um, and was selling. But I, I was transitioning from selling into training. And uh, actually what I started doing was uh, traveling around the state and started doing talks and realized that I, I kind of had a gift. For, I've always been a talker, uh, but I found out I had a gift for that. And I started developing some classes and started teaching classes uh, all around the state for uh, LRA. And uh, a lot of the training we did, uh, John Ray, I did, and uh, thought I really liked that. And so it started off doing that, and then that kind of broke off into some other gigs, you know, picked up a couple of speaking uh, things here and there, you know, but I was still nobody. You know, was, uh, I joined a speaker's bureau way back then, and you had to have a tagline. You know, my tagline was the best speaker you've never heard. You know, because nobody knew who Scott Caldwell was, you know, Lance Armstrong, uh, you know, back then when he was still marketable, you know, people like that. Um, so uh, then uh, all these people were asking me questions, you know, all the time about fitness and the weight loss and everything. And uh, I was taking spin class one day, and a, a lady was always sitting next to me. We got to know each other really well. Her son opened Smoothie King on Forsyth Avenue. And uh, they uh, talked me into being the spokesperson. So I became the spokesperson for Smoothie King. And he was actually the first person to say, you need to go into training. And so we talked about it, and I went to the Cooper Institute in Dallas, got my certification, realized they taught me everything there was to know about the body, but nothing about personal training. And that was interesting. So, you know, then, then it kind of, you know, we went from there. That's how we kind of got into the personal training side of it. A lot of people that you see with, um, that lose a lot of weight, they, they go into training. It's not uncommon. Um, but not all of them are successful in keeping the weight off and, and keeping that, that uh, physique that they got. What's been your secret for how many years? This how many years has it been now for you? How, how have you done it for? Well, this we thing? took that off 2000 to 2001, roughly. You know, so 14 years with a rebound in there. I did have a rebound in there, so I'm I'm just like everybody else. Uh, there's nothing special, and there's no secret. You know, it's uh, I like what Zig Ziglar used to say. You know, uh, motivation is kind of like uh, deodorant. You know, it's good to use it every day. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, it's just finding something to keep you motivated. And uh, people ask me all the time, well, what's the best thing to do? And my answer is very simple. The thing you will go do. The thing you'll find that you enjoy that you will continue to go do. It, it may be my boot camp. It may be CrossFit. It may be the gym. It could be Zumba. <laughs> 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 that's, not, that's not for me. Um, but, you know, and so that, that's kind of, you know, finding something you enjoy, but making sure that you've got something out there that keeps you motivated. Right. And your motivation can change, and it should change. As you reach milestones, you have to be prepared to go ahead and set another one. And that's what a lot of people aren't willing to do. Absolutely. So let's go back to 2003, 2004, um, working out with you. You're starting the boot camp, uh, the first boot camp in the area that I'm aware of. Is that correct? Actually, we were probably the first boot camp at the Gulf South. At the time, um, and the reason I chose boot camp, 
looking at it from a business standpoint, uh, when I was doing personal training, I could put one or two people in an hour and charge X amount, you know, which would be a higher amount. Or I could put, you know, 15 to 20 people in an hour and charge more and impact more. Because that's really my, my thing. Honestly, it was never about the money. You know, the money, if you take care of people, the money always takes care of itself. And um, so I ended up actually calling a guy in California uh, who uh, had started a franchise. And he, he's probably the most successful boot camp person in the country. He's been doing it the longest. It's the Adventure Boot Camps. Probably seen a website at one point or another. Um, and most of them are women-only boot camps. But he actually took my phone calls, wanted to talk to me. I guess I was in a non-threat area, non-compete area. Um, and we talked. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. We're going we're to put this together. And it was really interesting because uh, I got a couple of guys to help me. Uh, if you remember Sheik, yeah. Sheik and uh, Ryan. Uh, you know, I got those guys to help me. And, uh, so we started putting one together we're going to do a trial one month. We're going to get some friends and family to come out. Hey, we guys want you to come out here and, you know, give some feedback on this. Well, people heard about it and they want to go ahead and sign up. It was crazy. And it just, I mean, it just literally took off from there. Yeah. I remember, I remember, uh, <clears throat> I remember you talking about it and I kind of go, eh, I don't know. And the next thing I know, it's like, man, all you're doing is boot camps. It seemed like. Yeah. I backed off the personal training. Uh, I didn't have to carry as you know big a load there because you know it, it's amazing you know you work smarter not harder. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we we moved through 2004, 2005. I end up moving uh, to Dallas for almost a year, uh, and somewhere after that, I don't know the exact dates. You go through a divorce. Yep. And you get remarried, and you buy a gym. So let's just kind of go in there and take a brief minute talk about that time in your life. Sure, that was, it was an interesting time. Um, you know, it was the, the end of a 10-year marriage. Um, at that point, it was mutual. Uh, before then, uh, it was a little heavy on her side, you know, less on mine. It's funny because, you know, I lost all the weight, got in shape. So everybody just assumed it was me, you know. So, And I let people think what they want because perception is what each person's perception of whatever is going to be anyway. And uh, it just wasn't worth the time and energy to go into details with everybody. You just let people have their own opinion. Um, went through a little period there of just being on my own which was weird. I hadn't done that in a while. You know, I'd be in a relationship for 11 years. Uh, got remarried. And uh, that, was, that was a tough deal. So that was, in hindsight, you know, it was rushed. Uh, probably, probably not the best idea. Uh, buying the gym, um, probably not the best idea. You know, boot camp was my baby. You know, and when we left here, I'm not going to lie, it's like a little piece of me just died. Yeah. You go to, was it Alexandria, is that correct? Alexandria. Yep. Um thought I'd done my due diligence and here, here, here's a business tip when you think you've done your due diligence dig deeper um, there's always more to uncover huh? oh yeah <laughs> you, you hear people talk about you know buying lemon cars well I might have got a gym right. <laughs> <laughs> so you moved to Alexandria which uh, for people listening you know hour and a half away mm -hmm. approximately from where we're sitting at right now so not terribly far but um, it's not your area where you have a base of people or supporters or people you can call on. And so you go to a new area, you're newly married, a lot of things are going on in your life. Um, what was it like? And you're owning a gym. I mean, you, you had a business that you had, which was boot camp, but it's not the same as owning a gym. It's a different type of mentality, I would imagine. And so, Oh, absolutely. It's, it's com it was a completely different element. And uh, I don't know that I was even prepared, if yeah. I'm being completely honest. And, you know, between that and the stress from the marriage, uh, there are a lot of factors and things going in there. And it was just... Uh, you know, it was actually turned into a very down time in my life. And uh, that led to, I mean, just this, this literal free fall, you know, over the next uh, really probably two and a half years. 
And so the stress of the new business and the stress of just a new marriage and all that entails uh, put you into a free-for-all. And then from there, you moved to... We bounced, we, then we bounced around. It was just, it was literally just, I mean, we went to Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, failed there, went to Nashville, Tennessee, failed there, uh, moved back to Louisiana, to Lafayette, and failed there. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I went to work for UFC for a while, uh, opening uh, a couple of gyms for them. And uh, well, one gym, uh, the one on Ambassador there in Lafayette, and um, the marriage was crumbling. Uh, we were actually expecting while the marriage was crumbling. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was just a very stressful time. I actually uh, I began drinking uh, and started abusing. It was a uh, just a very very dark period in my life. Yeah, how did you deal with that time? Because you said you you moved around. Was that a way to cope? Was that a way to just to try to keep moving the ball down the field? Um, you popped around to you said three or four different spots. Honestly, at that point, um, I'd kind of I'd kind of quit being me. You know, the guy that went from you know sleeping in his car back in the '90s, you know, uh, to being successful, had just forgotten everything or quit applying everything that I'd been teaching people uh, for 14 years. And when I quit applying that to my own life, uh, you know, I just things got out of control. And uh, you know, every day you have to do the things that you know you have to do. You know, otherwise, you know, the work we do today. You know, you're going to see next week or three months from now. And that's what people don't realize sometimes because we want, you know, our result yesterday. We're a fast food microwave society. You know, everybody wants that result. But it's, you know, it's about patience. And it's about planting, you know, proper seeds. And, man, I was just planting some nasty crops. <laughs> right. And, and the, the depression and the failure of a gym and a struggling marriage led to substance abuse. Absolutely. And how long did that go on for? Uh, there were two bouts. Uh, the first one was a little over a month, um, and um, you know, sought help for that. Uh, got done with that, that help and that treatment, and uh, we were going to try and fix the marriage, uh, but it just, just was, it was crumbled. It was it was it was probably broke beyond repair before we even got married. If I'm being honest, uh, like I said, we rushed into it, uh, so there was no repair in that. And uh, a friend of mine just made the suggestion. He's like, "Dude, you just need to move back to Monroe." You know, this this is where this is where you built everything. This is where you had success. You need to get some familiarity around you, success familiarity around you. And so I did. I moved back to Monroe, and uh, that put distance between me and my newborn son, though. Right. Um, and so you know that created uh, more depression, and substance abuse came back. This time when we treated it, you know, I went after it, and I said, you know, this is it. You know, game plan time. It's time to get old Scott back. And I sat down, and I still have the notebooks, uh, and I made a game plan. And we have stuck to that game plan. Um, I actually uh, rented an apartment right by Forsyth Park because I didn't have a car. I started boot camp back this time uh, walking on foot. Well, I remember when you started that back up. I didn't know that that was the situation you were in. Yep, uh, we started back up, uh, golly, be two, three years ago now. Yeah, three years ago uh, in March. And I started it back with uh, six people. One camp, six people. Uh, by June, I had five camps and I think 74 people, you know. Right, right. So. Well, there's a couple of things there I wanted to I want to touch on. One is you moved back to where you were successful, but we talked about it a little bit earlier. There's also your support group here, people that you know, that you've been around, that have seen you succeed, that you have helped succeed, that you could go uh, ask advice for and lean on. And did that play a major role in your recovery? Oh, absolutely. Um, your confidence, the way you see your confidence, you know, eventually is going to bleed out to everybody else. You know, and what people don't realize is you can fake it for a little while, 
But unless you're building that, unless you're doing something to build that confidence up, eventually it's just going to hammer you, you know. And and having support, having familiarity, uh, it just it, it brought the confidence back. You know, even having only six people that first month, it just getting back out there and doing what I'm I'm good at and great at, you know, uh, just it just felt amazing. And it was just like it was just we were gone from there. Right. So do you have a certain group of people that you lean on to with your plan? You have this notebook that's kind of your game plan that you're sticking to today. Do you have a core group of friends that you say, hey, this is the plan. This is how you keep me in line. These are the warning signs. Or how, how does that work three years down the road now? Well, I, number one, I have a mentor. Uh, you know, I, go, I like what Tony Robbins says. Uh, Tony Robbins says, you're the sum of the five people you hang around the most. You know, and so what I challenge people to always do is look at that five people. You know, it's okay to have people in that five who are where you are in life. But if you want more out of life, if you want to be better tomorrow than you are today, if you want to achieve more success, then you need to have somebody in that five who's in life where you want to be, not where you are. And I've done that. And I keep somebody there. And if I achieve that level, then I'm going to go find somebody else. But I've always got a small circle uh, of people that I, that I do count on, I do lean on, and generally speak to daily. So you have your core group, you have your mentors, um, you get your boot camp back going. So you've been clean for three years now. Is that what you're? Is that what you're here? Off and on. There's been a couple, you know, couple, little, couple little bouts in there. Yeah, in absolutely. There. Uh-huh. absolutely. But nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, you know, but um, just uh, it, it's just amazing. Um, you know, we'll get into this other stuff here in a minute. But uh, just uh, uh, seeing other people succeed, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Zig Ziglar said the way to achieve true success is help other people achieve success, and that's right. there, there's no there's no truer statement right. than than that. Over your years training, um, when people come to your boot camp, what is the thing that helps them uh, be successful? Is it something um, in them? Is it something in the the camp community? Is it uh, you said they get the five friends? Is it how they align themselves or? It's a combination of everything, I believe. Uh, number one, there are a lot of trainers out there that are great at what they do, but they've never been out of shape or overweight. You know, they can sympathize with the client, but they can't empathize. There's really not much that I haven't gone through in my life, and uh, you know, other than you know having to deal with ovaries. Uh, <laughs> but after training women for 14 years, I feel like I got some. Uh, <laughs> I feel very in tune with women now. Uh, my feminine side is very strong. Um, it's a combination of things. It's, uh, the community that I've built, uh, my boot camp is a positive environment. I do not allow negativity. Matter of fact, uh, I had a, you know, a lady in her forties that they have to go home and write a hundred lines. I can do it. <laughs> right. She, she did it. Right. Uh, you know, you can't say I can't, uh, you have to build each other up and uh, I create that environment. And what, you know, the example I give is, you know, I can take a pencil and I can give it to you and snap that pencil in half. I can take that same pencil and stick it in a stack of 50 pencils. We can go to the gym, find a guy on steroids, and he can't break it. And that's the power of group. Right. Uh, one of the analogies that you told at uh, one of the boot camps I did many moons ago was you, you um, if it's positive and negative and uh, magnets and how they are fighting each other. Can you tell that analogy again? Yeah, absolutely. Just... I haven't told that story in a while. Uh, <laughs> I, I always feel like, uh, you know, there are two magnets fighting for you. And your, and your conscious and your mind, you know, and there's a negative magnet and there's a positive magnet. Negatives on the left side, positives on the right because it's the right thing. Um, whatever your mind is consuming the most and whatever you're thinking the most is the magnet that you're going to be drawn to. You know, 
negativity serves no purpose except to undermine positivity. I mean, there's, you know, construct, there's the constructive criticism, which is fine, but most people, they don't realize they're not being constructive, they're just being negative. They think they're being constructive a lot of times, but they don't know how to be constructive. You know, negativity in any shape, form, you know, is just, there's no place for it. Uh, you just, you're not going to see it from me. Uh, you know, even with the stuff I'm, I'm dealing with now, you still, you don't see it. You're not going to hear it. I just, I don't allow it. Uh, you know, it's what I've always said, you know, to kind of play off the magnet theory, you know, a new thing that I talk about now is, you know, where we put focus, we put power. Whatever we get focused to, we get power to. And so when a problem arises in people's lives, what do they generally focus on? The problem. So what they've actually done is in turn give that problem more power than it should have ever had. What they should have done is put focus on the solution. Now, it doesn't make the problem go away, but what it does is shrinks it, brings the solution into focus, and makes the problem manageable. See, we're, we're constantly giving power to things that we shouldn't give power to. You know, uh, when we do that, you know, when we put focus on that solution, you know, I mean, if you think about it, how many times you had a problem, you know, something was going on in your life, and it was like you thought it was monumental at the time, but once you got past it and you look back on it, you, you wondered why you even worried about it in the first place. All the time. But at first, where did you put your focus? On the problem. You know? So I tell people, quit focusing on the problem. Start focusing on the solution. You know? And uh, when you do that, it's amazing the clarity that we begin to get in our lives. We, we remove a lot of the fog. Because I think a lot of people they don't realize you know, that, that fog, we create ourselves. You know, we're, we're responsible for us. And, boy, that's a, that, that's a word right now, isn't it? Yeah. No, nobody wants that word anymore, do they? Exactly. It's always somebody else's fault. Just as a politician. Did I say that? Oh, yeah, you can say that. Okay. <laughs> when you talk about problems, one of the things that um, I, I see when I do in business and in life is I see that, too. People, um, they get stuck on the negative and they, they can't overcome it. And part of that, I think you touched on it earlier, is we're, we're reactionary. A microwave, I think, is how you described it. Uh, microwave McDonald's, maybe. We're fast food society. We want everything now. Right. We want everything now. Uh, and so when problems come our way... Um, it's a lot easier to look at the problem and go, it's too big, I can't deal with that, let's go on. That's an easy, instant reaction. Um, and solutions, while being positive is a, part, is, a, is a big part of it, thinking through the problem and how to solve it is work. Oh, and, you know the quote, most people never achieve true success because it's dressed in overalls and it looks too much like work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I found that... Um, no matter what kind of business it is I'm, I'm dealing with, is that there's a, a fear to think through a problem, to be optimistic about this, uh, you know, we can accomplish this goal. Um, do you see that a lot? Is that is that a common problem that people you deal with that they, well, they, they, they want to say no, they don't want to really think through how to solve it? You hit, you hit two key words there. The first one was reaction. Uh, you know, I came up with a quote a long time ago. I said, where we end up and who we become in this life isn't based on what happens to us. Who we become and where we end up in this life is how we react to what happens to us. And we always have a choice to, you know, react positively or negatively. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going through a, a pretty rough ordeal, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. You know, I chose to react positively, you know, and I believe it's going to have a huge impact on the outcome. Uh, the second word that you touched on was fear. That's the big one. That's, that's what gets most people. And it's, it's fear of both. It's, you have fear of failure and you have fear of success. There's fear of both. And it's really interesting to watch. Uh, fear controls people daily. Uh, and uh, there's only one way to cure fear, 
and that's through action. Action cures fear. You know, I tell this story. Uh, when we turned 16, I grew up in Kentucky, and uh, Rough River was right down the road, and it has these cliffs we always wanted to go jump off of, you know. Parents never let us. Well, we're 16, we got a driver's license. Now we get to go. Big group of us get together one day. I'll never forget, we pull up, you know, and then we walk up to the edge, and I look down, I'm like, hi, that's a long way down. Oh, oh, fear set in, right? Uh, this other guy went first. He jumped. We were all watching. He comes up. Everything still worked. You know, he didn't hit a sunken car or a fish, you know, or something like that. I was like, I was next. I'll never forget this. I ran up to the edge and I stopped. And I'll never forget the moment I stopped, the fear got bigger. And I did that two or three times before I finally jumped. But once I finally jumped, and everything was okay. Jumping the next time was nothing. And that's, that's the way it works. The more we put off fear, it's kind of like the problem. The bigger it gets. And the bigger it gets, the more controlling it gets. And what happens eventually for people, you know, so often is they allow that fear to get so big, they just run away from whatever it was. Whether it be a business venture, whether it be a relationship, whether you know, it be doing something with your children, whatever the case may be, people end up running from fear instead of attacking it. So how do we balance then, um, earlier you talked about the due diligence with your gym. Okay, so if you look at business, let's just say, and you, 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 um, you're you nervous about uh, buying a business or changing jobs and you're doing due diligence, that fear is there. So where's the balance between um, taking action and thinking through what you're doing? How do you know when you're stuck, when you're being gripped by fear compared to when you're actually making progress towards your goal, even though it may not look like you're jumping, you're walking towards the edge, let's just say. How do you how do you work that out? That goes back to what we're talking about, who's in your life. That's why you want people who are in your life or where you want to be, because that's when you go counsel with them. Because you may not know. You may not be able to tell today. It's like losing weight. You know, I tell people, you know, get off the scales for right now, you know, and stay out of the mirror. Because it's minuscule changes daily. And you know, when you're looking at yourself every day, you don't see those changes. You know, what I do is after about 12 weeks, you know, I put a picture side by side. And I have literally people's mouths are, oh, I had no idea. It's because you see you every day, you know. And so finding that person or persons to put in your life to help you gauge that. You know, it's a, if it's a business thing, make sure there's somebody who knows more than you, you know, so that you can go to them and say, hey, here's what I've done. What else do I need to do? And then make sure you do it. I think an important thing here is um, just let's just use your story as an example. Um, you went and you bought a gym and it didn't turn out. Um, and, and purely my fault. Purely your fault, right? But you're you're not dead. You're not paralyzed. You're not Mm-mm. unable. So you're most of the things that we are paralyzed in life by. Um, I'm not saying we should just jump at every venture we have, but rarely are the things that we decide to do going to just ruin our lives. Uh, we have the capacity to come back and rebuild and, and reset. And so um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy, but but it's there. It's not like you buying the gym ruined your life. So if it was easy, well, if it was easy, everybody, you know, we wouldn't have poverty. <laughs> That's right. You know. That's right. Um, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, talking about easy or hard, I mean, um, you know, I use examples a lot. Uh, uh, photography is kind of a hobby of mine, uh, or it used to be when I had a little bit more time. Um, and I remember, uh, I, lo- I love waterfalls and there's uh, one we went to in North Carolina called Linville Falls. 
And there were three trails to get to the waterfall. There was an easy trail, a moderate trail, and a really hard trail. You know, and each one they had warnings, and they, they said, well, I did all three because, you know, I just wanted to try and get as many pictures as I could. Well, the first trail, which was the easy trail, literally pulls you out almost on top, kind of at a catty corner angle where you can barely see the waterfall. It was the worst vantage point of the waterfall. The next trail kind of kind of got you almost to the side a little bit. You can see most of the fall. You still can't really get a full panorama. Now, that last trail, uh, which is also where a couple of fight scenes in The Last of Mohicans were filmed, of course, while I was doing the music, dun 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 that easy trail usually ends up leading somewhere not worth going. Right, right. When you think about life in general and, and using the term easy and hard, is it easier to maintain? And I, and I don't say maintain as, as not trying to move forward, but just is it easier to say, hey, I'm here and I've got a goal and I, I need to maintain this pattern to, to hit that goal? Maintenance is way easier. We'll, we'll use weight loss as an example. Now, I tell somebody if they're trying to lose weight, if they have a weight loss goal, you know, you got to hit it. I mean, you, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work harder than that person who's hit their goal and now just maintaining. You know, maintenance, you can, get, you can get by three days a week. You know, for weight loss, I say three days a week is good, four days a week is better, five days a week is best. Now, when it comes to business, you know, I would venture to say, you know, when you're trying to get where you want to be, you know, so you have something built and then get into that maintenance phase, not, you know, and for business, it's a little bit different because you're still growing, but you're at, you're more maintenance than you are. You know that building phase. Right. You know, you know the building phase of business. I'm, you, you know, we're talking, you know, seven three sixty five. Exactly. You know, and it has to be. Exactly. You know, otherwise you're, you know, these uh, absentee owner businesses. There's a reason they fail so often. Yeah. The owner's not vested enough. Mm-hmm. I believe you have to be there. If you don't have to be there the whole time, but I, I think you need to be there at least six months. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's hard to uh, it's hard to run a business on any scale if you're not if you're not actively involved and and knowing because I've got some really good employees that, that that have worked for me in the past, but their level that they're vested in the company isn't my level. No, um, and never will be. And never will be. And I don't own um, R Square Global, but my dad owns it, so I, I have a deeper level of, of absolutely. Yeah. So so I see that even even some of my best employees are really dedicated, but they're not dedicated like I am. And so, if you let it go for too long, um, even with good intentions, it does. It turns out not like you were hoping it to be, for sure. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, you know you don't have to be biblical or a Christian. I happen to be. Uh, there's there's a scripture uh, that you know kind of sums that work ethic up to me. You know, there's a, the scripture says, "Whatever thy hands do, do with all thy might." It didn't say the things you like to do, the things you want to do. It said, "Whatever, do it. We need to do everything." with reckless abandon. We need to do it, you know, like there's no tomorrow. You know, that's, uh, you know, my mantra right now at boot camp is I don't care about your 100 bucks, I care about your 100%. You know, and I'm a 100% guy, I don't believe in this 110 crap. There's no 110, it's 100. You know, these people spouting off about this 110% probably aren't getting 50. You know, I mean, it's, it's just something to say. Uh, you know, there's 100%. And uh, you don't have to give 100% all the time, but the more you give it, it's like I tell you, do you realize results can come faster? 
That's what people don't realize. It's in direct proportion to the amount of work and effort you put into whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Everybody views success differently. Everybody has a different idea of what success is for them. But here's the key thing. The principles that go into whatever success you're looking for are the same. You talk about success and, and, the, and the building blocks are, are kind of the same, generally speaking. One of the stories that, that sticks with me is, um, I don't remember who the reporter was, but he told a story of when Jordan and Pippen, the Bulls were the prime, and he walked in the gym. They'd won, I don't remember how many championships at the, at the time, but they walk into the, he walks into the gym, and he's at a Bulls practice. He's excited, and he sees Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen doing chest passes and bounce passes. And he talked about how it blew his mind. He was expecting them to be shooting three-pointers and you know, mid-range jumpers or maybe Duncan or, or whatever. <laughs> Put on a show. Right. And they're in there on doing the basics. the basics. Doing the basics. And I think we, we lose that mentality of um, we want to have success. We want to put in a certain amount of effort. But, but the basics, we, we stumble past the basics and we get overwhelmed. You know, We say, hey, I want to lose 100 pounds. And that means I got to do 57 things or I want to open a business. I got to do 57 things. And, and step one is. Step one. Step one's always step one. That's right. It's always step one. It's uh, you, know, you flip sports. Um, you know, I can't stand him. I mean, number one, he's too good looking. He's got a gorgeous wife. He makes millions of dollars. He's won three Super Bowls. Tom Brady. Uh, can't stand the guy. It's just not right to be that good looking. And four, four Super Bowls, I think. Is it four? <laughs> oh. So I just threw up in my mouth I'm a little sorry, bit. I'm sorry. Thanks for that. Uh, but what's he doing while the defense is on the field? He's throwing. He's on the sidelines throwing. And he's looking at the film. You know, and uh, you see Peyton Manning, one of the first things he does when he goes to the sidelines is he grabs the film. He grabs the pictures. And he's analyzing, reading the defense. And, you know, that's basics. You know, and they do those basics. And they master the basics. And one thing I said uh, to somebody not long ago is, We've lost mastery in this country. It's been replaced with multitasking. Uh, not saying that you know we don't have to multitask because we're going to have to, but there's too much of it going on. Everybody wants to be okay or good at so many things, but nobody wants to be great at anything. You don't hear a lot of the word great thrown out there a lot anymore. You know, when's the last time you heard somebody say something great about an artist? Oh, he's great. You know, he's one of the greats, or even musicians for that matter. You know, and uh, you can talk about LeBron, you can talk about Tom, but you know, the level of greatness that we heard and was used when Jordan was here is even different now. But you go back and you look, they did the basics. They, they said, I want to be great at this. You know, and that's what they put their focus and energy into. You know, we've, uh, we've become slaves to these. And for, we're on the radio, so don't sign it. And I, visual show, I'm holding up my cell phone. Uh, you know, we've basically all been turned into Pavlov's dog. You know, instead of, you know, the bell ringing and the dog salivating, it's your phone going off and you having to see who updated Snapchat, what happened on Facebook, who texted me, you know, and it's amazing. I mean, people are just, they're so attached to these things and the distraction with that and the distraction with trying to do so many things and people wonder why they can't get good and great at something. We talked about this a little bit before the before the show, and we'll get back on it now. I think part of that, and this is part of what we're hoping to do this podcast, is we have more access now to the big names we've ever had before. You know, 150 years ago, whatever the big names were, you didn't really know what they were doing. You were working in your mine or your field or whatever, and mm -hmm. 
Now there's a book about Steve Jobs. There's a Bill Gates has a blog. You can read and you can access their content and what makes them tick. Warren Buffett, he's always in the news. And I think for a lot of people, they read that and either they, they try to relate um, and then they try to do what those guys do and they realize that they just can't. Uh, or they get discouraged and they say, this is too much. I mean, I remember reading the Steve Jobs book and I thought, hey, I mean, I'm not saying I'm the best boss ever. You can pull my employees before you leave, but <laughs> but I don't want to be like Steve Jobs just to get some more work. I mean, right. how, how he treated people is just not what I want to be about mm-hmm. to sell a computer or whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, but two, the, the work ethic that he had um, is to be admired on some level, but he sacrificed so much of the rest of his life to work. So when you read a, a, a book about Steve Jobs, you, you go, for me, at least, I walk away going, that's impossible. It's impossible for me to be him. Um, I almost get discouraged because I realize that I don't have that level of talent. And I forget that there's just step one for me. When I lost the weight, uh, it's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Everybody want to know, what'd you do? What'd you, how'd you do? I want to do what, tell me what you did. Step for step, I want to do it. I said, does your life mirror mine? Because if it doesn't, then what I did in total won't work for you. You can take parts of it, but you've got to apply it to your own life. Our schedules are probably different. Our lifestyles are probably different. My metabolism may be different. Our DNA is different. You know, everybody's their own individual being, you know, and you have to figure out what works for you. Now, that's not saying you can't take, you know, from all these people, but you got to take the parts you relate to. You got to take the parts you relate to. And that's when I said earlier, I should have clarified too, when you're looking for those people that I want you to put in your life or in life where you want to be, it also needs to be somebody you can relate to. You know, I, I, it would do me no good, you know, if I had access to Bill Gates, honestly, for me, probably the counsel with Bill Gates because we're not relatable. You know, his is a tech mind. You know, mine is a creative, you know, motivational, inspirational kind of thing. You know, I'd you know, rather have Tony Robbins, you know, any day. Uh, but it's uh, everybody want to know, what would you do? How would you do it? Well, this, I don't know, I'm... I look back on it now, I'm pretty sure I was abducted by aliens because I really don't know how I did it. You know, I'm trying to lose 20 now, uh, which I'm on a great weight loss program now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, one of the reasons that people do that, though, is they want the easy way. Yeah. They want it easy. Yeah. You know, and they don't realize it's not easy. Well, you brought it up, and so we're going next. So let's go there. Your great weight loss program. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of gets up to speed of what you what you kind of cancer you have where where you're at. Let's just kind of set the table there, and we'll talk about it a little okay. bit more in depth. Yeah, the last month and a half, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, it just all happened really fast. Uh, I've been dealing with what I thought was a hemorrhoid issue. Um, had one procedure done on it, and uh, still didn't fix it. And then on Thanksgiving Day, I had to have surgery to have it removed. Uh, fortunately, my surgeon thought it looked unusual. And he sent it off for biopsy, and it came back as a tumor. It wasn't a hemorrhoid. It was a tumor, actually. And I ended up being diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer called anal melanoma. I mean, less than 2% of people that get cancer get this. You know, it's like, really? Leave it up to me. Look, right. if I'm, I'm going to do something, you know, I'm going to do it. Of course, now. You're all in. I'd almost rather. Easy there with the, the reference on that. <laughs> <laughs> Too many people have been all in lately, okay? <laughs> it's been ridiculous, man. Look, this, really, I mean, who gets cancer there? It's just ridiculous. You know, I, right. I, I, don't, right. I don't like things coming out of that area. And I got people, you know, all up in there. You know, all of a sudden, <laughs> it's just like, really, guys? Yeah, I told Dr. Charter, uh, 
you know, I've had um, several surgeries over the last month and a half. And I was like, when we met for him to put my port in, I was like, dude, next time we get together, can we get together just for lunch? <laughs> I mean, yeah. does it have to be for another procedure? Right. Uh, you know, so uh, we did that. I was diagnosed. Um, unbelievable thing happened. Um, I started to do a boot camp last year uh, for Louisiana Oncology's office. Uh, we couldn't get our schedules worked out, but uh, apparently I made an impression on them. Uh, my doctor's wife actually reached out to me at 9.30 on a Friday night, the day after I was diagnosed. Uh, my case had come across the tumor board, and she recognized my name. They wanted to reach out and help me any way they could. And uh, they have just been unbelievable. Um, I'm, I'm at the right place. I'm with the right doctors. I'm with the right team. Uh, there's been some things going on that, uh, I mean, you know, other than divine intervention, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, the insur- I didn't. Ha- I was uninsured. Yeah. Uh, the insurance policy I ended up getting had expired, uh-huh. but their system crashed on the day it expired, so they pushed it back by one day. Wow. And I got it on the day that it got pushed back to. Uh, you know, so I'm covered now. I don't have that fear or that worry. And then um, after being, whew, well, in a period of seven days, I had three procedures, three surgeries, two in one day at two different hospitals, and a chemo okay. treatment. Just in case people didn't catch that, say that one more time. In a, in a span of seven days, uh, two weeks ago, I had three procedures, I had three surgeries, two in one day at two different hospitals, and a chemo treatment because my doctor said this is what we need to do. Two procedures? Three procedures. Well, in one day, then? No, the, um, I had procedures on Monday, I had procedures on Tuesday, I had procedures on Wednesday, had liver biopsy on Thursday, had chemo on Friday. Then on Monday, I had my port put in at Monroe Surgical Monday morning. And then they were waking, literally waking me up. Hey, Scott, Scott, St. Francis is ready for you. So I had to go do a second liver biopsy Wow. right on top of that. Wow. You know, uh, and of course, uh, you know, when the results came back, it wasn't what we wanted to hear. Uh, the cancer had spread. Uh, there, uh, you know, are, it's now in uh, my, the nodes in my pelvis. And unfortunately, it spread to my liver. I have uh, four spots in my liver that are hot. And, uh, you know, what the news we wanted to hear. Right. But uh, I don't, you, you probably saw my Facebook post. It's, it's not bad news. It's just news. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just what's on paper. Mm-hmm. That's not what's in me. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, uh, my doctor's awesome. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't get into prognosis. You know, he said because, you know, when you get into the things like that, you know, you're talking about data that's four years old. You know, and if, if you've been watching or following, um, positivity rules the day. You know, uh, I'm trying to get my body very alkaline. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly that negativity is acidic and positivity is alkaline. You know, and that's how we should live our life. You know, and it's amazing. Uh, I'm on a new drug. Uh, it's called Obdivo. Uh, it's only been around six months. It just got approval. Uh, and it's actually being used in conjunction with another chemo uh, called Yervo. They just in the last month and a half have been approved to be used together. You know, and so uh, we're very optimistic. You know, my, uh, the, what I have considered incurable, again, on paper, mm-hmm. uh, but yet uh, we just saw what happened with Jimmy Carter, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And you're testing a drug that's really in uncharted waters. That's what I'm hearing. There, about. There's, a lot of deep re- there's a lot of deep research into this. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, it just got approved to be used in lung cancer. Yeah. Uh, the Obdiva was the first uh, therapy. Well, when I say uncharted waters, I mean the the, the blending of the two together. For, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so you talk about four year old data, 
it really isn't helpful for what you're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. Today. It has no, you know, like, because if I, if I were to go to MD Anderson and they gave me a prognosis, they would say I have 11 months to live. Yeah. That's it, 11 months. Yeah. That's what, the, you know, based on the data that they have mm-hmm. for what I'm dealing with, type cancer and everything. Uh, but that's because that's what was available and the stats that they have. Right. You know, um, you know, another interesting thing, uh, one of my really best friends, uh, John Mark Jenkins, he was strength conditioning coordinator for Chris Everett's Tennis Academy for uh, God, forever. And uh, he called me and he said, uh, hey, look, I used to have this client. I'm still friends with her. He goes, we still talk. He goes, I was talking to her the other night and uh, I told her about you. Well, apparently she told her dad. Well, her dad calls my buddy John Mark and says, hey, tell me about your friend. Come to find out, this guy is the second leading researcher in the country on this drug in melanoma. He helped run a lot of the trials. Wow, that's a, that, that is pretty incredible. Uh, and I ended up in a 45-minute phone call with this doctor, and he's now consulting with my doctor, you know, and does, hey, positivity. Absolutely. No, that's that's uh, that's crazy, you know. I, <laughs> I crazy. mean, when you get down to it, yeah, it's just right. like, that's it's crazy. like, man. Wow. Um, so I want to go back to you had a Thanksgiving Day surgery. Was that planned or emergency? Just that, just it was an emergency. Emergency, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you found out when that you had cancer. How far after that? Uh, the following Thursday. The following Thursday. So what went through your mind when your doctor said, Scott, you've got cancer, and some cancer you've probably never even heard of is only 2% of the world has it? It was, uh, they say until you go through it personally, you know, you just, you don't know the feeling. You know, like well, you can kind of think, you know, and you have an idea, but you really don't. It was, it was a gut punch, you know. Um, it was over the phone. <laughs> uh, they had the wrong phone number. This is an interesting story. They had the wrong phone number for me. So my doctor's nurse, I've been going to the same doctor for years, actually reached out to me on Facebook the night before and said, hey, we really need to talk to you. Of course, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, huh, well, that can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, sitting there at night going, Wow. Yeah, th- thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you call me right now? <laughs> yeah. Can we talk now? Thank you. Well, there'll be no sleep tonight. <laughs> and I was talking about boot campers the next morning. They're like, well, you know, if it's something serious, they probably would have waited just to call you in. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I'm like, yeah, I didn't think nothing about it. Uh, then uh, Christy actually uh, then emailed me the next morning and said, here's my cell phone. Call me directly. So it's just, it's mounting now. I'm like, well, hmm. So I called. She's like, let me get Greg. And she gets my doctor, and he gets on the phone, and that's when you, you know, and, uh, you know, he told me that they'd found melanoma. And that when you hear melanoma, you're like, ooh. Right. That's, you know, that's, that's the bad boy. Right. Uh, he, he, he doesn't play nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, you go through all the phases. and uh, But uh, I lean on what I've been teaching people for years. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a pastor, and he said, uh, I'm probably the first, he's been doing this for a long time, he said, he said, I'm probably the first person that's ever used the word excited and cancer in the same paragraph. Because there is a part of me that is. And I know that sounds strange, but, you know, I've been preaching and teaching a mantra for 14, 15 years now. And the way I look at this is I've been given an opportunity on a big scale now to show it. Now to show it. And so that's what we're going to do. You wouldn't be human if you didn't have doubts. Oh, absolutely. Think. How do you deal with that? For me, uh, I take time. Uh, I got to go wrap my head around it uh, because when we went in for the results from the biopsy from the liver, you know, my mind is, 
you know, positive, 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 positive. Um, you know, and when he said melanoma, man, it was, that was one of the biggest gut punches I've ever got. Uh, to be honest with you, though, I think I kind of knew because, uh, you know, me, I'm a cut up. And so I was cutting up with the staff. And uh, when I came in that day before I went back, none of them would really look at me. Right. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, I know oh, this. Yeah, this doesn't feel right. Yeah, this Something's good. off here. Uh, you know, and he told me, and uh, you know, we left there and we went to get something to eat, and uh, you know, it's just it's hitting you, you know, because I've read everything and you know looked up everything, and it's like, oh man, you become a doctor instantly. Oh, absolutely. With Google, you- <laughs> yeah, it's you know, uh, National Institute of Health, New England Journal of Medicine, right? Uh, you know, uh, American Cancer Society. You know, use it. Uh, you know, I try to use more credible ones if I can. Uh, you know, but yeah, you're, you know, call me Dr. Scott now. I mean, I can tell you all about cancer and how it works, the T cells and the PDR1 receptor, yeah. you know, what's going on in there because uh, I want to know. Right. Uh, they tell you don't read, but I can, it's just not who I am. And that's why I told Dr. J, I was like, hey, look, you, you know, this, this is who I am. Uh, but I mean, I'm at the perfect place. He's so optimistic, you know, and he's actually on the leading edge with this drug too. He's actually been invited to, to talk at some symposiums and things, I think, you know, on this drug. Uh, he's consulted directly with MD Anderson also. Uh, it's like I'm, you know, everybody says, go to MD, go to MD. Well, I am just in West Monroe. Right. I, I'm basically, I'm going to MD Anderson, but in West Monroe. Uh, but you got to take that time. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, for a while, what I would do is I set out an hour every day to let myself be upset, mm-hmm. to let myself be sad, mm-hmm. to let myself, you know, be down. But at the end of that hour, you know, I'd either grab my Bible first or a book and a combination of the two and I'd, I'd dive into reading, you know, something positive and uplifting. Um, you know, we didn't talk about that earlier. That's one thing I tell people all the time. You know, if you want to change your life for the better and be more positive, the 15 minutes before you close your eyes, if you'll read something positive and uplifting and then close your eyes and go to sleep, after five days, your life will change. Just after five days. You know, it's what we put in is what comes out. You know, and uh, I'm fortunate too. Um, I've been trained for this. When I was seven years old, my mother was diagnosed terminal with a lung disease. Uh, and I watched her suffer through that. But she showed me how to do it. You know, she never questioned why. She never uh, got down in front of me. And I'm not saying she didn't. Right. Just like me, I, you know, I'm not going to do it. You know, out in public or in right. front of my groups or my people. I do though. You know, I have those moments. But you know, I've been trained for this. She showed me how to do this. Uh, I mean, there's so many things in my favor, and uh, you know, it all all goes back to some of the stuff we've been talking about in this training. You know, right. how we do the motivational stuff. So. You go through your hour process that you uh, that you allow yourself to kind of <laughs> to kind of get down, and you, you go into a book or, or your Bible or um, something to kind of get yourself back up. Um, how much willpower does it take for the other twenty three hours to stay positive? It takes a lot. You know, uh, I'm I'm in a unique position because of what I do. You know, uh, and all this time with all these procedures, I've only missed boot camp two or three times. Yeah. You know, because that's medicine to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I firmly believe that uh, the more you lift other people up, the more you lift yourself up. You know, it's impossible to go help a group of people better their life and not get in a good mood. Yeah. You know, watch somebody smile or watch somebody achieve something, you know, and then they get to watch me. I mean, I, I own them now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, really? Are you tired? Oh, did you have a bad day? Right. Well, I, I had four hours of chemo. Do you have anything like that? <laughs> yeah, they have no. They're like. 
Okay, I'll push that. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, yeah. In the funnest way, of course. I'm not coming to boot camp anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, I have the greatest group. Um, that's another thing. Um, so often, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, everybody feels like they're thankless. You know, are people paying attention? Have what I, has what I've done mattered? I no longer have to worry. I no longer have to wonder. It's the the outpoint of support has just been un- you've you've seen yeah, it. I've seen it. It's been great. It's, it's I mean it's just been unreal, mm-hmm. uh, and it's gratifying. Yeah. And uh, everybody always views these situations as negative. Why does this happen? Why does? But you know what it does, and almost every one of them, it brings out positivity. Yeah. Look at all the amount of people that come out and when things like this happen mm-hmm. in a positive way. So was it really negative? It really wasn't. You know, again, you know, nothing's either good or bad except I would choose to think about it. All right. Dealing with a potential 11-month time window, um, fighting for your life, essentially. What are you most afraid of? Not having reached enough people. Yeah. So that's why I'm continuing to do what I do, uh, and I won't quit. Get your story out there. Yeah, uh, we're actually uh, we're doing a documentary on it. Yeah, uh, Aaron Dietrich is a good friend of mine. He yeah. does boot camp, mm-hmm. and uh, we're putting a little. Uh, he's making clips. We're doing clips, and what we're going to do is we're going to show people that it's okay. Yeah. That it's okay. Uh, look, it's just something that happened. You know, this happens all the time. You know, and you hear people say this, and this is uh, I think a very important point for people to understand. You hear people say all the time, "Well, at least I don't have to deal with cancer. At least you know, I, you know." Well, I'm not Jim. You know, he's dealing with this. People have to be careful with that because essentially what people are saying when they do things like that is they're invalidating and putting off their own problems. Yeah. See, because you may not be dealing with cancer, but whatever problems you're dealing with are the ones you're going home with. Absolutely. Those are the ones you have to deal with. So you still have to be aware and take care of and control your own problems. Don't downplay yours, you know, because somebody else has it worse. No, absolutely. That's I alluded to it earlier. I said it again. That's the purpose of this show is we want to hear how you do it. So there's parts of it that can relate to me, and I can, you know, whatever it is I'm dealing with and trying to overcome that, you know, I can glean something from you, hopefully. And um, we all have our struggles. Um, well, absolutely. You know, and uh, again, it's not about the struggle. You know, it's it's about what we do with it. Yeah. You know, it goes back to how we react. Yeah. You know, I, I could have gotten down. I could have gotten depressed. Uh, you know, I could be sad, I could be mad, I could be all kinds of things. I choose to be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I choose to be positive, and I choose to show people that. And that's what we're going to, I mean, we're look, this thing done picked on the wrong person. <laughs> it, it don't know who it done mess with. With the mentality that you have, Scott, you say Cantor's picked on the wrong person. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's chosen the wrong opponent. Um, and people have their own obstacles, things that they're trying to, persevere through um recap or maybe something you hadn't said yet give some people some practical tips for whatever they're struggling with so they don't listen to scott and go oh poor pitiful scott and they feel bad give them some advice how how to if it's a substance abuse or being more due diligence for a business venture they're about to get into what what is it that you would say to people just generally that are listening right now set a goal set a goal set a goal and when I say this, listen closely. If you don't write it down, it's just a dream. I have an eight-step process to setting a goal that I came up with. Um, I don't make everybody do it, but if you don't write it down, what I recommend people do 
is two things, uh, whether it be a piece of paper, a note card, or whatever. Uh, write your goal down. I want one on your bathroom mirror and one in your car. And the reason I do that is where do you start your day? In the bathroom, generally. Yeah. At some point in front of the mirror. Yep. The morning dictates your day. I want you, first thing that happens in the morning, looking at what it is you woke up to work for that day. What did you wake What do you? Why are you here and what do you want? That's a question I ask at boot camp all the time. And I tell them, when I ask that, I'll just throw it at them randomly. Why are you here and what do you want from it? And I tell them, if that image doesn't pop in your mind instantly in 4K clarity, you don't want it bad enough yet. You got to know what you want specifically in detail. Know what you're willing to do to get it. And want it bad enough to go get it. I, you know, look, I mean, I did, you know, three procedures, three surgeries, two same day and a chemo in seven days. I didn't have to. It was recommended. But I want to beat this. You know, the other one, if you put in your car. That's your goal. Yeah. Oh, the other note card in your car. Why? Well, you're not going to probably break down the office. You're not going to break down the store. You're not going to break down church. We go to our car. And it's when we get in our car sometimes. So I want that goal sitting there. So if you have a moment, pick it up and look at it. Yeah. This is what I'm fighting for. This is what I'm working for. And I want you to be able to visualize that. You know, it's how they get that mule to plow the field before tractors. They'd put a carrot on a string, and they'd hang that carrot out in front of the mule. And that daggum mule would walk all day plowing that field to get to that carrot because, you know, at some point he's going to get it. But what's your carrot? You need to figure out what it is and hang it out in front of you. And it needs to be tangible. It needs to be something you can see, touch, taste, or feel. And then you go to work for it every day. And you go to work for it every day. And you go to work for it every day. Until you get it. Then when you get it, guess what? Set another one. You know? And always have a goal. So we're going to close with this last question. Um, 20 years from now, when me and you are doing a recap show, and I'm bringing on the best of guests. Yeah. What do you want your legacy to be? That I changed lives. That my life was an example and I help create examples for other people to live by, to live a better life. Uh, you know, John Maxwell said it best. Definition of a true leader isn't somebody that has followers. Definition of a true leader is someone who develops other leaders. You know, and that's my goal. Uh, I'm teaching people, you know, you, you, you said so. you alluded to something earlier. It was like, you know, what is it that people have? Is there something in them? What I do is I look for that button. And when I find that I push and push and push and push and push and push, that button till eventually you've got it. You know, uh, I, I can't do it for you. No matter how badly I want you to be successful until you want it bad enough for yourself, what I want for you doesn't matter. So what I try and do is make you want it badly enough for yourself. And I help teach you how to do that. So often people thank me, you know, for whatever success they get, you know, they, they give you, you know, what's well, because of you. And I said, I'll back up real quick. I'm like, hold up now. I was like, who did the work? See, all I did was show you to the door, but you had to go through it. You know, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I just want to have impacted, you know, as many lives as possible in a positive way. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, tell people where they can find you. Um, I know you have a, a GoFundMe page that we're going to put in the link to the show notes. Um, to help us offset some of the costs, there was a no. The real, it's real inexpensive. <laughs> cancer, yeah. tra- cancer treatment's real inexpensive. It's, it's cheap, awesome. Huh? <laughs> I mean, it's just super inexpensive now. Well, um, 
And there's a shirt drive going on too. Is that yeah, it's is over? That, it's over. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, was uh, talking, I was talking to someone earlier today. They said there may be a few shirts left. Unbelievable. Let's see what Mr. Peace Tees, who's unbelievably talented, but again, was a good friend of mine. Has done boot camp for years. Actually, she's in my very first boot camp way back in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, still comes. Mm-hmm. Um, Want to do a fundraiser for me? Yeah. And uh, you've seen this shirt. It's really cool. It is know? cool. It and is it's cool. a play on words too. Right. Uh, I, have anal, I have anal melanoma. So you know, in 15 minutes, she literally draws a donkey. Mm-hmm. Okay, and above it, put kick cancers. You got this big donkey with his butt up in the air. So right. Oh, you, yeah. It's great. You, you can glean from that what you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was disappointed. I didn't see about. I didn't see it until after it had ended. And then uh, I was talking to someone this morning, and they said that there may be a few more shirts. But it, The response was unbelievable. Lissy actually raised $5,000 for me Wow. on that T-shirt drive. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, there's a pic on uh, Facebook right now. You can look at it. Just They all came in. Mm. She's like, we're drowning in shirts over here. She's wow. put a pic up. It was just, I mean... Uh, you know, the response to everything has just been, you know, unbelievable. But, yeah, you can find me on Facebook under Scott Caldwell. Um, you know, uh, I have an Instagram account, uh, Max Results BC, and, uh, you know, of course, the GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people asking how they can help. That's easiest way probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, or if you're a friend of mine, you're listening, uh, just come by, hang out. Yeah. You know, a good talk every now and then is good too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Scott, thanks again for being on the show today. All right. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed the interview today with Scott. The links to Scott's page will be in the show notes. Also, I will be promoting his GoFundMe page on my personal Facebook page, as well as posting updates about Scott as he continues his battle with cancer. You can find me at facebook.com slash ryanworldwide. Also, please consider leaving a rating on iTunes so we can improve our show. We'd love to hear honest feedback from our listeners. So please take a moment to do that for us. Finally, Up the Mountain Podcast was recorded in R-Square Production Studios. You can find out more about them at r2films.net. That's r, the number two, films.net. And the show was edited by Greg Zeker. Until next time, keep climbing.